here's my point. Infinite banking is that bridge bringing two different financial philosophies together, producing better financial results, greater efficacy than the all-in approach. What I mean by that is the all-market-based plan or even all-life insurance plan do by themselves alone. Hi, everybody. This is John Montoya. And this is John Parings. We're authorized infinite banking practitioners and hosts of the fifth edition. Episode 36. Infinite Banking as a Financial Bridge, Investments and Life Insurance Better Together. Hey guys, this is John Perrings. In this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that we see going on in the financial industry, like some of the infighting that we sometimes see or maybe see a little too often in the financial world between investment advisors and insurance advisors and how really, you know, not only is there room for both, but if you have both, they work better together than they do on their own, both of these types of products. So we're also going to talk about how, how IBC is always a client comes first philosophy and how this mirrors the role of a fiduciary in the investment world. So insurance people are not fiduciaries on their own, but we'll talk a little bit about how it, it's, it still follows that philosophy because sometimes that's something that comes up in the world out there. And so John Montoya, I know you you've got a, a really cool analogy as usual for uh, this type of conversation. So what what did you what were you going to say about how how IBC is a financial bridge? So here's my idea. As a big time Game of Thrones fan, the role IBC plays in an overall financial plan reminds me of the character Jon Snow. If you've never watched Game of Thrones, here's the idea. Jon Snow is a metaphor for a bridge because what does a bridge do? A bridge connects two land masses together. In the show, Jon Snow is constantly building metaphorical bridges. He unites people historically at odds with each other and gets them to work together because, among other things, there is strength in numbers. The other major characters in the show, in contrast, build proverbial walls that divide people. These other Game of Thrones characters basically pursue their own self-interests and set to purposely divide people in a never-ending battle for power to see who sits on the Iron Throw, hence the title Game of Thrones. In the real world of personal finance, it's actually pretty similar, where we often have Wall Street advisors versus life insurance advisors, and they're competing for every single dollar that gets saved. Walls are constantly being constructed, and the fighting between the two financial industries leads to consumers never fully understanding how the two sides can actually work to complement each other to produce the financial outcomes people actually want. So here's my point. Infinite banking is that bridge bringing two different financial philosophies together, producing better financial results with greater efficacy than the all-in approach basically your all market-based plan or even your all life insurance plan do by themselves alone. That's a great way to put it. I'm a big Game of Thrones fan as well. And, you know, one of the things we run into all the time are strong opinions, you know, either way, you know, strong opinions about life insurance, strong opinions about market investing, strong opinions, how one is dumb and one's better than the other, all that stuff. And it's, it's divisive. And our hope is that we can kind of illuminate some of the listeners out there about how, you know, John and I as IBC authorized practitioners, we kind of marry these two worlds together, right? Because as we've said a couple of times already, if you have both, they work better together than they do separately. 
IBC, the thing to remember about IBC is that it's not about the product of life insurance. And that's a lot of times what the conversation devolves into is it's this conversation about life insurance. And of course, life insurance is an important tool to becoming your own banker, but it's really the process of becoming your own banker and understanding what you're doing. And when you become your own banker, right, what happens to your money? And Nelson Nash uses the analogy of the grocery store and likens money to cans of peas on a shelf, right? So, and so money becomes inventory. And as an owner of your own bank, what do you want to do with your inventory? Well, you want to turn that inventory over just like a grocery store owner. They turn inventory over. Well, banks do the same thing with money. They sell it and restock to sell more. And, you know, so they'll do that as much as their system will allow. So this means buying assets or otherwise financing activities that create a profit, right? That's kind of the name of the game. And so what we see is that with IBC, life insurance goes hand in hand with other investments because that's exactly what we're doing. We're building up our source of capital and then we're treating that like inventory and we're turning that inventory over to, to create profit. And, and so when people talk about IBC versus investing, it's really not one or the other. They're, they're both working together to create a better outcome in people's financial lives. Absolutely. Because when we utilize the cash value in an IBC policy, we are taking loans typically to acquire additional assets. I mean, that is one of the use cases for IBC. In fact, in episode 34, we referred to infinite banking as the more asset. More assets means diversification. So IBC, by its very nature, is an inclusive strategy. By having the ability to add more assets via our infinite banking portfolio of policies and the cash value that sits in those policies, we were able to add to our overall portfolio when we multiply our asset base. So we create diversification, add different asset classes all the time, simply because we have the ability, that flexibility, that freedom, use of control of our cash value versus the standard financial approach, which is, like I mentioned, which is either an all market based, for example, 401ks, mutual funds, and more or less nothing else. Or even on the flip side, it could be all life insurance planning where you have your insurance contracts or even annuity based planning and nothing on the other end. So why is it that there is all this contention in the financial world, you know, between, you, know, you see the, and we'll talk a little bit about this later in this episode, but the mudslinging between life insurance people and investment people, you know, you've got, so you've got your, your life insurance agents and you've got on the other side, you've got your, you know, your, your brokers, your investment advisors, and they're always kind of hating on each other. <laughs> why do you think that is? Well, I think there's two things off the top of my head. One of them is you have safety versus risk. And if you're taking the market approach, you can, you feel comfortable taking on risk. But on the flip side, you know, you may be the type of person who doesn't like losing money, which means you're not going to want to lean towards that market-based approach. And so in that type of situation, I think it's pretty safe to say, or you can say that, you know, people will tend to gravitate towards one or the other because that's where they feel most comfortable. The, the other thing I can think of off the top of my head is that, well, with the way that advisors are trained in the industry, you know, they, they pretty much have their 
expertise and they're they're trained on a certain type of products or strategies and and that you know you tend to focus your attention in those core places that you really can't be an expert at everything in this business if you are you're you're probably not an expert at anything to be honest but in that vein if if you're an advisor specializing in assets under management or you're an advisor specializing in life insurance products you have to follow the money trail how how do advisors get paid if you're one or the other right and so depending on that situation as an advisor you know you're probably going to lean towards what puts food on the table so you have that that bias built in we talk about how can these two things be used together and you know we talk about you know how life insurance cash value can then be used to buy additional assets sometimes that's a it's a far stretch for people to to get to that stage so uh, sometimes a good place to start when talking about the the two sides of this coin, uh, a good place to start is to maybe summarize the introduction. There's a book called Safety First Retirement Planning by a guy named Dr. Wade Fow. Uh, we've recommended this book before. You know, Fow's really delivered on some of the most up-to-date academic research on retirement planning. And so, if if you're more of a you know standard type of investor where you're buying you know you're putting money into a qualified plan a 401k IRA whatever it is buy mutual funds and then you're going to save up and then kind of hope to spend that money in retirement this is a great book to read because it tells you how you can get a lot more income in retirement off of the same you know inputs during the accumulation phase and so i was read a quick excerpt right and and the excerpt is kind of like he's what he's talking about is the mindset between the two camps that we've already been talking about the financial world financial planners securities licensed people who deal with like assets under management and then the life insurance and the life insurance people and so this is from the book again safety first retirement planning so what he, what he says is for the two camps in the financial services profession it is natural to accuse the opposite camp of having conflicts of interest that bias their advice but each side must reflect on whether their own conflicts color their own advice right so on the insurance side you have the natural conflict is that insurance agents receive commissions for selling insurance products and may only need to meet a requirement that their suggestions be suitable for their clients, which I don't know why he says only meet that requirement, but I, I get it. On the investment side, and that, that actually gets to the stepping out of the quote, that gets to the conversation about fiduciaries. Going back into the quote on the investment side, those charging for a percentage of assets that they manage, which is a way of saying assets under management, naturally wish to make the investment portfolio as large as possible, which is not necessarily in the best interest of their clients who are seeking sustainable lifetime income and proper retirement risk management. And then the third part of this quote is, meanwhile, those charging hourly fees for planning advice, these would be your your like fee only type of advisors who are supposed to be neutral. So those charging hourly fees for planning advice naturally do not wish to make their recommendations so simple that they forego the need for an ongoing planning relationship, right? So it is important to overcome these hurdles and to rely carefully on what the math and research show. And this requires starting from a fundamentally agnostic position. And so Coming out of the quote, this is John Perrings again. So what what 
Dr. Fowles is referring to is kind of the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that are often placed on these three types of financial professionals. And it really kind of, let's talk about some of this. The three biggest globs of mud that are slung is AUM is gambling. Let me say that another way. Assets under management is, or investing in the market is gambling and, and life insurance has a horrible return, right? That's probably the, the, one of the biggest things we come across is you're going to get a horrible return in life insurance, but then the life insurance people say you're gambling. Do you have anything to say to that? Well, I, I'd say we hear that so much, but there, you know, it's, it's not one size fits all. So it's what is people's preference? I mean, there are quite a bit of people who don't want to gamble with their life savings. And so they lean more towards that, you know, the safety side. And there are others where, you know, they, they have the time horizon and, you know, maybe they, they have a, a large enough asset base where they feel comfortable taking on more risk. There, there is no one size fits all. And that's probably my biggest pet peeve is that when I have conversations with people who have already determined for themselves, what is the best approach without taking the time to fully understand how both sides can actually complement each other? It's funny too, because I mean, this is such a common thing. I was actually talking to a prospective client the other day and, you know, we're working up to the discussion of how she's going to turn her accumulated assets during her working years into retirement income and, and create any kind of guarantees. And she's, and she said, uh, well, I'll just on my statement, it says I can just annuitize this and and get a guaranteed, you know, whatever the percent was. And I was like, what? Like no one ever talks like that. The, the status quo is to just, you know, save up as much as you can and then try to keep that in the market and then get distributions off of that. I I never hear anyone say they're going to just annuitize all of their, all of their retirement savings. But it was just, it's such a, that's how ingrained it is that I couldn't even believe she said it. So I thought that was kind of funny. Another one is the the commissions discussion. So, you know, we kind of alluded to this earlier. And I think one of the big things that gets slung from the, not only the financial people, but the probably the buy term, invest the difference people. And just anyone who's kind of like anti whole life is that all they can talk about are these big commissions that life insurance people get uh, by selling whole life or, or other permanent life insurance. And I could probably go on a major tirade about this. Everyone gets paid, right? So it's like to say that, you know, a life insurance sale is bad because the salesperson earns a commission. Well, if you're a marketing exec at, you know, Facebook, guess what? That person earns a commission. It's called their salary. Everyone gets paid. Like this whole commit, this whole commissions thing is so silly to me. And, you know, I, I think I've mentioned this before I get on some of these real estate forums and, you know, real estate people whose whole world revolves around, you know, the broker and commission model, you know, they, they're always bashing whole life people for, for earning a, or insurance people in general for earning a commission. So, um, but John, you had a great point about this. And if you, if you compare, if you were to actually run the numbers and compare over a long period of time, you know, what life and in, life insurance people earn compared to, you know, securities licensed people who sell investments, I'd say it's a wash at best. If not, the securities people probably earn more. Yeah. Well, they absolutely will earn more because if you think about 
a half a percentage point, or maybe it's a full percentage point on assets under management over 15, 20, 30 plus years, not a hopefully growing, you know, account balances. That's, you know, at 1%, just easy math, you know, on a, on a half a million, on a million dollars, you know, most money managers won't even talk to anyone uh, that's below a million dollars in assets to manage. So um, 1% on a million bucks, that's what, $10,000 a year, right? And you keep on adding that 10,000 year after year, that's pretty sizable book of business. And you multiply that by the total assets under management. And you can see that securities advisors, they are handsomely paid and, and nothing is wrong with that. They're providing a service. And if you're doing a phenomenal job, well, you should get paid for the value that you provide. But I, I think, you know, to flip to the other side on the life insurance side, just to put it uh, in check, I mean, on the life insurance side, when we as advisors regardless of being an IBC advisor, you know, we, we place a policy, we do earn what's called a heap commission, meaning, you know, the, the, the commission that we get paid on, it isn't spread out over, you know, it's not, for example, 1% every single year of the cash value, you know, over the life of the policy, which in this case on a whole life policy would, you know, be as long as the client is alive. It's really in that first year. And so there's, a considerable difference in the amount of compensation that life insurance advisors get paid in comparison to a investment advisor. So the talking point about heap commissions and how much advisors, life insurance advisors get paid, I think it's 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 probably not valid because uh, in, in all reality, investment advisors are going to get paid more than what a life insurance advisor gets paid. But to take it a step further, in the IBC world, we put together a policy where we're actually minimizing the death benefit. And in doing so, we're also taking anywhere from a 60 to maybe as much as an 80% haircut on a policy that we place for a client compared to the traditional whole life policy that 99.9% .9 of the public buys. And it's those traditional whole life policies, what I often refer to as your grandparents' whole life policies sometimes. Those are the whole life policies that, you know, if you can imagine an 80%, 60 to 80% higher commission, those are the ones that really get bashed. That's where all the noise is talking about IBC and how we get paid. It's, it's just a night and day difference. But I always tell people, look, Here's, here's what's in it for me. Here's what's in it for you. And this is why it works. If we take apart the, the whole life policy and how it's structured, you're going to see that the money that would otherwise go to the death benefit and I would earn a commission on, that instead is going to go to your cash value. So I'm deliberately taking money from my own pocket that I would earn as a commission for placing this life insurance policy for you. And I'm putting it back in your pocket in the form of cash value right away. Now, we mentioned previously, we talk about fiduciaries. And I think you mentioned that, you know, the fiduciary is, is for the investment world. I'll let you elaborate on that. But essentially, you know, being client first, having that mentality as an IBC authorized practitioner, what we do in designing these policies and educating people on infinite banking, we're always putting the client first. 
And you can definitely look at your whole life policy, your IBC designed whole life po- uh, policy, and you'll you'll see the proof is in the pudding. How did we design it? We designed it the proper way. And there it is right there in the cash value that you'll see in the very first year because we put you first. Yeah, and I, I would go a step further and let's not just forget the the whole purpose of life insurance is to indemnify against the loss. And so, you know, in doing so, we're not we're not all focused on the cash value. We're also going to talk to you about are you are you properly insured? Do you have enough life insurance? And so the third and final thing that John was referring to is the fiduciary conversation. If you get out on the on the forums in different places, people are always talking about Make sure you find a fiduciary advisor, and that's all. That's all well and good, but the fiduciary designation is that's what they're referring to when they say a fiduciary advisor. It's an actual designation that just having a life insurance license, you don't actually have a fiduciary designation, right? And so sometimes they'll kind of use that and say, well, that you know, life insurance people don't really have to look out for your best best interest, and that's first of all, hundred percent false. Um, you know, but I always find it ironic that, and, you know, first of all, fiduciary is good, but it's like they have these, this fiduciary designation. Meanwhile, everything that they are involved in involves risk. Every, anything they're going to sell you, you can lose money. So they should have a fiduciary designation, you know, on the insurance side, it's like, yeah, we don't have the fiduciary designation, but everything we sell has guarantees, right? And of course there are some life insurance Um, products out there that have fewer guarantees than others. But I think, you know, John and I are mostly talking about whole life when we talk about this. And, you know, IBC is ultimately probably the most consumer friendly type of life insurance product. As John was mentioned, you know, it's a client first design. IBC policies generate high cash value and long-term ultimately can create more permanent guaranteed death benefit than a traditionally designed whole life insurance policy. And on, then on top of that, just going back to the commissions thing, we, we do earn a lower commission. So what's the catch on why, why would we do this if we're going to earn a lower commission? I asked this question of John Montoya when he wrote my first whole life insurance policy, whatever, years ago. Yeah, so yeah, Why absolutely. do you do this? <laughs> well, it's because I get asked this question so often. And, you know, the, the bottom line is I can't unlearn what I've learned about infinite banking. And and that's just the way it is. You know, Nelson talks about the arrival syndrome and always be learning. And once you learn something, you you just can't unlearn it. So once I learned about IBC and I designed my own policies, well, there's a level of integrity that I think as IBC advisors, that we have, I like to think that we all have, but once we know the power of IBC and how we can set these policies up to get the most benefit we possibly can, you know, more cash value, ultimately more death benefit. You also mentioned too, you know, we do want to make sure people are covered. And so that's where we talk a little bit about future planning, maybe adding an additional term policy in addition to your IBC whole life policy. But we know the power of IBC and we can't unlearn it. To do anything other than what we know would be just, I mean, we'd be a hypocrite and we'd be, we just discredit 
the whole IBC philosophy and and everything that you know it means to us and and what impact it's had in our lives. What we do for ourselves is exactly what we're going to do for our clientele. Yeah, when you asked me that question years ago, John, it wasn't the first time I'd I'd received that question and you know, it makes me think of where, you know, a lot of times people are asking me right off the bat, am I a fiduciary? And I explain to them, no, but I explain to them why. But I also tell them, like I mentioned, well, here's the thing. I'm putting your interests first and this is how I'm going to do it. And I actually take the time to share how we get paid in these policies. You know, when people actually see the numbers in what what the payout would be on a traditional whole life versus an IBC whole life, it really cuts through everything. They get it. And, you know, to add one more note here, I mean, in my business since 2007, you know, people ask me like, how did I, how have I gotten to this point? It's just by being honest and sharing that information, man. When I explain to people, you know, this is what's in it for me. This is what's in it for you. This is how you're going to benefit. And this is how I get paid. People get it. Most of the time. Most of the time. Well, like Nelson said, you know, 70% of people are teachable and the other 30% aren't. So you just got to move on. That's right. Well, since we're talking about, you know, how these two things work better together, let's, let's jump into that a little bit. And the, the first one is, and I'll just, I'll just say right now, we'll, we'll touch a little bit more on this in a future episode, but the first one is like the, if you look at like the truly IBC kind of strategy where you're building up capital in a uh, correctly structured dividend paying whole life insurance policy, and then you use policy loans to leverage that cash value to go out and buy other assets. That's the high level version of that. We're going to, we'll, we'll dive more into that in a future episode what we wanted to talk about today was more the, you know, what about the regular person which we mentioned before, who's putting money into their 401k, maybe buying some, you know, you know, doing some other investing on the side, maybe has some, you know, real, a little bit of real estate on the side. They're saving up as much as they can. And then their plan is, okay, now they need to turn that into income somehow. And so the, you can you can use investments and life insurance without even you know getting into the IBC component of it. IBC will be built into this, and we'll talk about that later. But you could just look at just having these two products if you didn't even want to get into IBC. And the best way I've heard this explained is the two economic powers talk that you know is a company called Wealth Building Cornerstones, which is sort of a a calculator software for advisors and a methodology of talking about this. They talk about the two economic powers. You have the first power is your accumulation power, which provides a rate of return, you know, or an interest rate, and it it grows over time. And these are usually provided with investment-based products, right? So these are going to be your growth products that you are buying during your working years and you want to them to grow as big as possible and you want to get the highest rate of return possible. The other economic power is the distribution power, and this uses the law of large numbers or actuarial science to provide higher distribution rates with guarantees higher than what you can get in other areas using the the actuarial science. You can get with the same capital base, you can get a higher distribution rate out of it. What's interesting is, you know, neither of these powers are very good at doing the other's job, right? And so 
actual the, the excuse me the accumulation power is good at growing but it's actually not very good at all at distributing and that's where you start to get into some of the probability based distribution models in retirement like the 4% rule monte carlo simulations where you know you have no guarantees and you don't in, because you don't know how long you're going to live and you don't know what kind of rate of return you're going to get meanwhile the distribution power does a great job of providing guaranteed income at higher distribution rates because of the law of large numbers but it doesn't do a very good job at, at accumulating which is kind of going back to some of those first objections and mudslinging that we hear they always talk about how life insurance is a, a horrible investment well i wouldn't call it an investment in the first place but they're they're not wrong in saying that it, it's not going to accumulate as well as you know probably your your other types of in, of investments we could dig into the numbers on that in the future and it's probably does a better job than most people think but i think this is a great way to look at it where you have these two economic powers one is to is to grow and the other one is to distribute. And the more you balance these two powers out all along the way, the more income you'll have in retirement. And so it becomes more of a conversation about balancing these two powers rather than doing all or nothing. And it, it provides a very nice framework in terms of how you can um, really kind of plan and create some, some outcomes that, that make sense. Yeah, I would just say you want to eat from both sides of the plate, right? You want meat and potatoes and maybe a salad, but you want, you want both, right? Just doing one or the other is not a recipe for success, especially when it comes to the tail end of your planning, which is really that retirement phase, that distribution phase where you've built up all your assets. And like you mentioned, instead of living in that 4% probability-based world, you can now marry the life insurance industry um, into those assets and, and the overall planning so that you go from a 3 to 4% withdrawal world to you know, five and a half, six, maybe 7% or higher guaranteed incomes. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, what do people want in retirement? They want guarantees, right? They they want to know that as long as they live, they'll always have an income. Well, you can't do that in a probability-based investment world because everything is predicated on what the market will do. And that's where we we would get into a discussion on sequence sequence of returns and how it differs from the accumulation phase to the distribution phase and why you need to marry the insurance world with those investment philosophies. Yeah. And one of my mentors in the business, Trent Fortner has a great line. He's like, do you want a big retirement account or a big retirement income? And the truth is most people's plan is really just to hopefully make as big of a retirement account as they can, but they really don't have any plan to turn that into income. And, and one of the problems is if you only focus on the accumulation power, by the time you get to retirement, your options are very limited in terms of what you can actually do with that. Whereas if you build both of those economic powers all along the way, all of a sudden you're opened up to a whole new world of options in terms of where you can move money around once you get into retirement. Because the other thing, you don't know what's going to, you don't know what your life's going to be like by the time you get there. And so, you know, a lot of people are sort of locking themselves into a trajectory that may not apply to them any longer when they, when they get to that, to that phase in life. And so, you know, I talk to my clients a lot about 
What we're doing is we're building options for you to make the best decision that's available to you rather than locking you into only one or two decisions that you can make and hope it works out. Yeah. I think the key word for me there is options. I always want to have more options and IBC and the life insurance side that provides me with those options to be cash rich right now. So I can take advantage of opportunities. It'll provide me with additional retirement income options that I otherwise wouldn't have if all I was doing was investing simply to grow the biggest balance sheet for retirement. So I love having more options. And that's that's really where I think IBC is a financial bridge. It ties everything together because it does marry both worlds together. Well said. I think that wraps it up for today. I think that's good. Good talking with you again, John. If anybody out there has any questions, you know, head over to thefifthedition.com. You can email us. You can schedule an appointment. And uh, if you're on any of the you know podcast platforms, it'd be great if you could leave us a five-star review. Help us get the word out there a little bit more. It was uh, great to uh, talk about this, uh, this topic because um, I think it's a very important thing for everybody to be looking at right now. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, I appreciate having the conversations with you and, and getting this out to the public. I do want to share one thing that we, we kind of had kind of a good laugh and it was it was a really nice compliment that came in before we started recording the show. For those leaving the the five-star reviews, thank you so much. Uh, here's Here's what one person had to say. Let me find it real quick. I subscribed and listened to your podcast. You and John Perrins are actually witty and knowledgeable speakers. And she goes on to say, your voices are more beautiful than DJ on the radio. I don't know about that, but I'll take it. So I'll leave you with that. If you guys have any any additional feedback for us, we'd love to hear it. That certainly made my day. So thank you. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody.